If you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Bible apps, or you can listen along, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This week and next week, we're going to talk about our, our vision as a church and our plans for the next ministry year. This week, really, our vision and values in general. And next week, how we're thinking about the coming ministry year more specifically. Sharon's going to read our passage for us first, though. Good morning. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The word of the Lord. Spirit of God, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see and understand all you have for us here that you might encourage, that you might encourage the dear members of this church and encourage everyone in attendance, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 2020, it seems to me, has been an unusually difficult year. Would you agree? Now, God is at work. God is accomplishing his purposes. But it's been challenging. Thank you for that. We've had a, we have a, a global pandemic with what they call a novel virus. I think that means no one's seen it before and no one fully understands it. Yet many have gotten sick, many have died. But there is great disagreement, isn't there? Great disagreement over how to view the situation and how to respond to it because it's so new. Real racial issues and concerns have been raised and, and grieving situations have occurred. I trust you would agree. Grieving situations, things over which we should genuinely mourn. And yet, Great differences, great differences exist over how one should or should not interpret those things and how one should or should not respond and what they might mean for us as a society. Great differences exist there. Related to those things, massive political differences exist. The, the political divide seems deeper than ever. The polarization greater than ever. The, the political dialogue seems more heated than ever. It's a difficult year, and so I want to ask you, how should a church navigate through 
this coming ministry year? How should a church navigate through such a circumstance? It seems like we are trying to find our way through a, a dense forest on unfamiliar terrain. We have not traveled this pathway before. How should we find our way forward through such a time? How? The answer? Well, we need a compass. We need a compass to guide us, a compass that will unfailingly guide us, a compass like the kind we find here in God's Word. This compass does not answer every question or address all of those situations specifically. But this compass, friends, will lead us forward unfailingly, for it gives us a crucial guiding principle for any and every local church. That's what I want to see with you. A crucial guiding principle for any and every local church. The guiding principle I would sum up like this. As a church, as a church, we must build on and with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's our compass. Here's the guiding principle I want to see from God's word with you. As a church, friends, we must build on and with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul here is writing to a local church, a local church in a city called Corinth, a church that has some big-time problems. They have divisions. Members are taking each other to court. They are dealing with false teaching. There's a certain asceticism happening. They're denying the future bodily resurrection of believers. There is serious immorality. A man is sleeping with his stepmother, and other members are okay with that. We're told their Sunday services do more harm than good. And some people have died because of the mockery they're making of the Lord's Supper. Now, if I were the Apostle Paul, I would write this church off. I would pretend like I never knew them. But he says in verse 9, You are God's field. You, local church in Corinth, you are God's building. God's building. And then the apostle uses that metaphor of a building to show us how we should build in the local church ourselves. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, he says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. I laid a foundation and someone else is now building Upon it. So the apostle looks back to when he planted this church. You can read about some of that in Acts chapter 18. And he says, like a skilled master builder, or more literally, like a wise, a wise master builder, because the word there means wisdom. And that's an important clue to the context. Because wisdom is being addressed in this passage. True wisdom is part of the argument taking place in these early chapters. You see, the Corinthians, the Corinthians were enamored with human wisdom, human philosophy, and impressive oratory. It was a package deal. Human philosophy and impressive oratory. 
They said, tell me the latest ideas, give me the latest intellectual fads, and impress me, impress me in the process. That was wisdom to them. It was show over substance. It was style over content. And so the Apostle Paul has already said, that's wisdom to you, that's foolishness to God. He said, God's wisdom, God's wisdom is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so, like a skilled gospel architect, like a skilled gospel engineer, he poured that rock-solid foundation when planting this church. Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. And now he says, now they must take care how they build on that foundation. For, notice verse 11, for, for no one... No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to be a church, if you want to be an expression of the church of Jesus Christ, don't drift from that gospel foundation. Don't alter that gospel foundation or you're no longer a church. And God would say the same to us, wouldn't he? We must build on that foundation of Jesus and Him crucified, or we are not a church. But this metaphor of a building's foundation, while biblical, is a little bit of a problem for us. The problem is that we don't pay much attention to the foundations of buildings, do we? Typically, a, a building's foundation is some kind of cement slab, some kind of cement somewhere, maybe down, dug down deep into the ground, I don't know. So when you're in your house or your apartment, you, you cook in the kitchen, you eat in the dining room, you sleep in the bedroom, you don't give a thought to the foundation. We, we assume foundations. We must not assume this foundation. And certainly the Apostle does not expect us to do so, for he says in chapter 15, chapter 15 after addressing issue upon issue in their lives, upon addressing sin upon sin, weakness upon weakness, in chapter 15 he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. I delivered to you, he says, as of first importance. But I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture did you catch that friends that gospel that gospel is to be for us always the matter of first importance always our top priority always the hub of our wheel from which every ministry spoke radiates. Always the center of our life together. That's why. That's why we say that our vision as a church is to glorify God as a gospel-centered community. We say that intentionally. A gospel-centered community on a gospel-centered mission. That's our picture of a preferable future together. Glorify God as a gospel-centered community 
sent on a gospel-centered mission. So before we go further, I just want to briefly exhort you out of my love for you. Because gospel-centered churches really are made up of gospel-centered members. No surprise, right? Gospel-centered churches really are made up of gospel-centered members. So friends, let us make this good news the matter of first importance for us personally. Would you make this good news the matter of first importance for you personally? I mean, you might, you might love politics. And we're going into a, an election season already, obviously. You might be deeply involved in politics, and that's fine. You might be, might be deeply committed to seeing biblical justice expressed or seeing social reform happen in ways and we're glad for individual Christians to be so engaged. Or you might be highly committed to your career or highly committed to your schooling, your education right now. But friends, make sure, make sure the gospel is what matters most to you. Make sure this good news is what of, is what of first importance in your heart to you, that, that this issue is what most gets your blood pumping, Good. not who's elected in November. Make sure this issue thrills your soul and gets you up in the morning with hope, the fact that Jesus Christ is risen and reigning right now. It is the matter of first importance for us. Are you starting to see our compass yet? Yeah, we must build on that gospel and we must build with that gospel. And that's what this passage really starts to talk about. Building with that gospel. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire... And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now this passage is often misunderstood and misapplied, but it's addressing church leaders in particular. He's addressing those who are building on the foundation there in Corinth. He's addressing church leaders in particular, and certainly by extension church members as well. God is addressing how they're now building on that gospel foundation for a day is coming, a great judgment day, when God will evaluate how they built. Look at verse 13 again. He says, each one's work, each one's work in the church, friends, in the local church, will become manifest, will become known. God will make it known, for the day will disclose it. For some churches and church leaders, what was built will be shown to be of lasting value. For they used imperishable materials, gold, silver, precious stones. And that will be revealed on that day. For other churches and church leaders, that day will be like a massive earthquake revealing their faulty construction. 
those leaders and those members will be saved, yes. But what they gave themselves to building in the local church will perish. It'll be wood, hay, and straw. In other words, a day is coming when what we built as Grace Church will be evaluated by God. Did, did you know that? The fire, verse 13 says, the fire will test what sort of work we have done. Now, I find this a sobering passage, but it can be for us part of that compass as well. See, we should ask, well, what, what exactly are the gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw? Well, that's basically either the imperishable stuff, imperishable stuff that survives that day, or perishable stuff that does not survive. Imperishable gold, silver, precious stones, interestingly, maybe some a reference to the construction of Solomon's temple, for he's going to go on to say they are God's temple, but certainly a reference to imperishable things, gold, silver, precious stones, or perishable things, things that burn up, wood, hay, and straw. That's the point of the metaphor here. Are we building with imperishable or perishable materials? Well, how do we know? Well, remember the context. Remember the argument taking place. The Corinthians are infatuated with human wisdom, human philosophy, impressive oratory. It's show over gospel substance. It's style over the content of Christ crucified. So the Apostle Paul came to them saying, I did not come to you proclaiming lofty words of wisdom. I came proclaiming a crucified Messiah. Folly, foolishness to this world, but the wisdom and power of God to save. That's the argument in the letter. So the imperishable materials reflect that gospel of God's wisdom and God's power to save. Are you tracking with me? The gold, the silver, the precious stones re represent building in ways in the local church, building in ways that reflect that imperishable gospel. Now, kids, you know what I'm talking about here. Building with materials that are compatible with the foundation. I know you get this. Because many of you like to play with Legos like I did. And I played a lot of Legos growing up, and I played a lot of Legos with my kids when they were younger. And so let's say I said to you, let's build a house. And you and I build a, a Lego foundation, a Lego platform for that house. And it's a strong, good Lego platform. And then I say to you, let's, let's build on that platform with some Tinker Toys or some Duplo blocks. What would you say? You'd say, thank you, yeah, it's, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not compatible. Those materials don't fit together. Tinker toys don't fit with Legos. Duplo blocks don't fit with Legos. That house is not going to stand. You need to use materials that fit with, that are compatible with the foundation. That's exactly the point here. If the foundation is the gospel, we must build with materials that reflect and are compatible with the gospel. We must use only materials that reflect God's wisdom and God's power.
from Christ. So just, just catch this. Take this in with me. God's going to evaluate Grace Church. Did we build with show or the substance of the cross? Did we focus on style or the content of Christ crucified? Did we employ a worldly message and worldly methods or did we employ God's message and God's methods in Christ? It really drives at how do you define success in the church, doesn't it? How do you define success? How would you answer that, friends? How would you define success in a church? God doesn't define success like an American. This, this may come as a surprise, but God is not an American. I hope that doesn't shock you. You know, as Americans, we ask, what are the metrics? What are the measurables? Let's graph the trends, the tangible trends. Let's check the bottom line. What's the attendance? What's the giving? How many programs? What's the rate of expansion? But God is concerned here with quality, not quantity. Did you notice that? He's concerned with quality in light of eternity. He has a very long-term view. Success is building with gospel-reflecting, gospel-compatible emphases and values. So what does that look like for us? Let me get a little more specific and practical and tangible. What does that look like for us? Well, for us, those values that fit the gospel, they could be summed up in five ways. This is how we, we sum up our theological beliefs, actually, on our website. We could sum up these theological values, these gospel values, in five ways for Grace Church. God's glory, God's word, God's spirit, God's people, and God's mission. God's glory, God's word, God's spirit, God's people, and God's mission. Let me just hit each of those very briefly. First, this gospel value of God's glory. We're going to teach, teach from the book of Ephesians this fall. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to see in a couple of weeks that from beginning to end, our salvation in Jesus is, quote, to the praise, to the praise of His glorious grace. In other words, salvation is a work of God. He saves by His grace to His own glory exclusively. He never says, how smart you were to choose me. <laughs> he says, I chose you and made you my own to the glory of my grace. Amen. I'm not neglecting our responsibility to respond, but we're going to see it's about God's glory. I think you see this value of God's glory in how we structure our liturgy, our pattern of worship as well. We don't gather to entertain. There's nothing flashy, I, I acknowledge. It's definitely not an impressive show, but we try to make sure there is the impressive substance of Jesus Christ. 
so that every service that you attend, every service you attend, you are built up in your soul by Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's our goal for you. Secondly, the gospel value of God's Word. Of God's Word. The inerrancy of Scripture, the, the utter truthfulness of the Bible is a key gospel value because if we lose the authority of God's Word, if we lose the perfection of God's Word, we will lose the gospel and then we'll have lost it all. And so we try to we try to reflect this value in how we preach, actually, in what's called expository preaching. That just means the main point of a passage is the main point of a sermon. That means you don't get a pastor's interesting thoughts. You get God's inspired thoughts as food for your soul. I think you see this gospel value also in our fellowship. As we gather in our home groups, the, the meat and potatoes, the meat and potatoes of our fellowship in our home groups consists of ministering God's word to each other, encouraging each other with God's word. That should be done, of course, lovingly, caringly, gently, thoughtfully. So that's real care being experienced. But that's the that's the grist in the mill of our fellowship because, because disciples Followers of Jesus are created and formed by God's Word. Third gospel value, God's Spirit. God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit applies the gospel to our lives. And the Holy Spirit enables us to live out the implications of the gospel. So we must be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we need the gifts of the Spirit who enables us for ministry and service. I think this gospel value is also reflected in seeking to rely on the Holy Spirit through prayer. Through prayer. One, I think one encouraging COVID outcome for us was we said, we need to pray more. And so we launched the Wednesday night prayer meetings. Every Wednesday there's a prayer meeting now in addition to Sunday mornings. And most weeks those happen on Zoom, but after the riots in La Mesa, one of our members said, you know, it'd be great if we could walk around La Mesa and pray for our city. And so the first Wednesday of every month, that's this coming Wednesday, there's actually a prayer walk instead of a Zoom prayer meeting, and you can join that down by the community center. And this year we'd like to encourage you to consider fasting a meal on that first Wednesday so that we all the more declare our need for God and cry out to Him in prayer. Fourth gospel value, God's people. God's people. The gospel makes us ministers, friends, servants. So we value every member ministry. We want every member making their contribution. I know that's challenging right now because a number of ministry teams have changed because we're out here in the park. But we desire every member ministry and we value member-to-member -member ministry, the kind that happens especially in our small groups and Bible studies. We are, we are program light as a church, not program allergic, but program light because we are a body. A body in which we want every part playing its part. Fifth gospel value, God's mission. 
the gospel makes us ambassadors of the king. Authorized representatives of the sovereign of the universe. And he sends us into our community. He sends us into our network of relationships. He sends us into our neighborhoods, our workplaces, to our campuses and classrooms to declare this good news. So we prioritize, we prioritize relational evangelism. Building relationships with people, friendships with people, reaching out with the love of Christ that we might demonstrate and declare the good news of Christ. Those are our gold, our silver, our precious stones. We believe those are gospel-reflecting, gospel-compatible values that will endure, friends, that will endure, I believe, on the last day. See, this is a sobering warning in this passage. But God also gives us here a compelling motivation. Look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a what? You see it? I'm, I am getting older and I don't hear as well anymore, but let's try that again, okay? If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, imperishable materials, he will receive a... Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now again, this is not about someone barely getting into heaven and snuffing out flames on their body, okay? That's not what this is about. This God addressing church leaders and church members by extension, and he's holding out to us a grace-purchased, blood-bought reward. A pastor friend of mine shares an image that I like. He imagines this as, on the last day, God calling churches down together, local churches down together. And maybe we'll gather before the Lord, and maybe, maybe we'll hold hands. If you don't like hand-holding, that's, that's okay. It's not a good idea right now. But in another time, maybe we can do that. And we're assembled there before the Lord. That's the point. As this evaluation takes place. And he goes through the records. Did we build only on the gospel? And did we build only with gospel compatible materials? Did we build with God's wisdom, God's message, and God's methods? And if so, if so, he will say to us, together well done good and faithful servants i have a reward for you won't that be amazing we'll say jesus you are the reward we're purchased by your grace he says i know but here's a reward anyway because i'm so generous so friends join us continue to join us in living for that day I think this is the takeaway. Join us in living for that day. Join us in this kind of vision to build on and with the gospel. It's going to take our time and energy, won't it? It's going to take time and energy. It'll be inconvenient sometimes. 
It's going to require our serving, our giving, our mutual care and love. It's going to require sacrifice in ways, effort in mutual ministry, effort in outreach. But I believe we'll say on that day, it was worth it. It was more than worth it. When we see him, and when we receive, amazingly, a reward. So yes, these are difficult times. But we will navigate forward by this compass, building on and with the good news of Jesus, crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. Let's pray together. And if the servers would prepare to serve us the Lord's Supper as well, please. I want to give you a moment to just engage with God. And I'm thinking of two particular categories. Maybe you're here and you've yet to trust in Jesus Christ like I've talked about. You've yet to trust in his life, death, and resurrection to take away your guilt, to cover your shame. I want to urge you this moment to do so. To turn from going your own way. To turn from denying or defying him and surrender to the God who loves you right now. To trust in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And secondly, I want to I want to urge be those who would say, you know, I've been disengaged from the local church. Or maybe I've just been disinterested, to be honest with you. I believe God wants to meet you and help you and encourage you. Take a moment to respond to what we've talked about. Maybe he's calling you to a new perspective. On his work. His plan A. Through the church of Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What a joy to be joined together in the worldwide body of Christ. And what a privilege to live that out in local bodies. Now, this is not some ethereal experience you've called us to, but we are tangibly joined together, even right here. Help us, would you, this coming ministry year to navigate forward by this compass. Help us to live today in light of that day. Help us to build on 
and with your wisdom in the good news of your Son. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.